Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Oh, my God! Would you please tell him that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It must be magic. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Nobody's walking out on this fun, old-fashioned family Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Hey y'all, we're back for another episode of Tis the Podcast, the podcast dedicated to keeping the Christmas spirit alive all year long. I'm Julia. I'm Anthony. I'm Tom. We sound chipper tonight, right? We're chipper, (laughs) right? We are chipper. We are chipper. (laughs) We're very chipper. Or or are we feisty? Because I have a feeling that would be the more appropriate word to use this week. Can't it be both? It can be both. It can be both. I'm glad. I think there's a feeling of unity here tonight, which I appreciate. (laughs) And and. In that spirit of unity, I'll say to Tom on mic, something I vowed just 10 minutes ago, I would never say on mic to have recorded. It didn't last very long. Um, for a year and a half, ever since somebody made that comment on iTunes, people have called you the worst, and I've reveled in it. But now, somehow, thanks to President Hot Dog and April Riley, this title got flipped, and I don't know how you dealt with a year and a half of trolling, man. <laughs> All in good humor. All. It's all in good humor. I love it. But man, I don't know when that switch happened where overnight I became the worst all of a sudden. <laughs> I don't know when I didn't have to do anything to make it happen. So that's even better. It's all organic about that. It was all beautiful. Does that mean year four is going to make Julia the worst? Julia will never Maybe. be the worst. Who would call Julia? Who would call Julia the worst? <laughs> no one. <laughs> I, I, an angry elf, that's who. So how was your week, guys? It has been so long and quick at the same time. <laughs> that's a good definition for life as it is now. I just have no concept of time. I don't either. I, I've been continuing my house binge. Yes. You gotta and be nearing the ju- end, right? I mean, it's our episode, no, but- so it's taking you longer, but... I just literally before hopping on here finished the episode where Cutner killed himself. Oh, what a downer. And besides the fact that House always chooses really good music for like their ending montages, it was mm-hmm. just done so well between cutting between the funeral that House didn't go to and House and Cutner's apartment going through all his things trying to figure out what he missed. Yeah, what he missed. Why didn't, so well. why didn't he go to the funeral? Because he became like obsessed with. He worked with this guy every day for two years, like, mm-hmm. and he missed the fact that he was so depressed. He mm-hmm. wanted to kill himself, so he was going through his stuff at his apartment, like alone, like trying to figure it out. That's a lot of burden to bear. To bear. It is such a good show. How was your week, Julia? It was good. Speaking of downers, Ethan is watching The Walking Dead. He's binging The Walking Dead. And to this day, I have not seen the Glenn episode because I cannot do it. I cannot do it. I know what happens. I've seen screenshots. That's fine. That's it. I cannot watch it happen. Okay. It's like uh-huh. Saving Private Ryan. I cannot do it. And uh-huh. 
So Ethan came downstairs because he knew something was going to happen. And Negan showed up on the show like a few days ago and he came downstairs at lunch and he's like, so Glenn, I'm like, oh buddy, I'm so sorry. And he's like, and you didn't tell me, but Abraham. And I'm like, I know buddy, I'm so sorry. <laughs> he was like super <laughs> sad all day long, all day. Oh, I, I'm like, I was sad as Abraham. Yeah. And so I think I, Ethan, I, yeah. Abraham, I know his cousin. I went to high school with his cousin. But well, that's cool. I, I've never met him. I was not his really cousin, good right? friends with the cousin. <laughs> I was really not friends with the cousin. And then, like, so, you know, one day last year, I went out with my f- close friend and her. And then I went to add her on Facebook. And she, she messaged my close friend. He was like, tell him I'm not going to accept his friendship just so he can get to my cousin. And my friend was like, I don't think that was it. I think it was just, you know, he wants to add <laughs> oh you. We went to school together. I love Abraham, though. Yeah. His one-liners, though, are the best on that show. Yeah. I love when he's talked to Glenn about the fact that Maggie's pregnant. And he's like, let me ask you something. When you were pouring the bisquick, did you intend to make pancakes? <laughs> you good old boy i love it um other than it's been a good week i mean yeah they all run together now and we do the same things on the same days and it's all the same and it's just the same except snowpiercer premiered and i didn't even get to see it that night but i have it recorded are y'all watching that show Mm -mm. i love the movie I'm nervous about the show, so you'll have to let me know how it is because I'm not sure where the two. Okay, I'll let you know. Yeah, I've been so doing so many projects. I've kind of stopped watching TV, and it's nice. Yeah, still your office project, and they do tend to spread from their projects. They do. They really, really do. (laughs) They're like rabbits. But it's so much fun. I'm getting so many. I'm so productive. It's just. It's really enjoyable. Yeah. It's fun stuff for Christine and I to do together. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just nice. Marty and I have been doing stuff like that, having him home and all that. It's like date it's night. It's just an, like productive grown-up old people date night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this thing I keep telling Christine, we're old now. This is what old people do. <laughs> Sit around and get excited about, you know, planting crops. And... Um, you know what else was good about this week? What? Uh, and I'm sure we'll get into it later, but our social media is pretty hopping this week. It was hopping this it week. It was. I couldn't keep up with it, y'all. Yeah. I have a hard time keeping up with the Facebook group. The thing is, the thing is insane. But it's because of our listeners are amazing. And I like that our listeners can keep each, keep each other engaged as well, you know, and, and it, that it is a community. I really love that about it. Me too. That's my favorite thing about the show. Mm-hmm. My favorite thing about the show, uh, sorry listeners, is Tuesday nights. Well, that too. <laughs> that is my favorite thing too because I like our listeners, but I really like our weekly catch-ups, y'all. Mile marker we really need right now. <laughs> it's yep. one of the only ways I know what day of the week it is. I know, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> yep. You, you know what's funny? We always keep complaining about quarantine, or not complaining, just mentioning it. Mm-hmm. We're not going to hit our goal of getting our bonus stuff <laughs> finished by the end of May. We're not? We have, we have two weeks. Yeah. Plenty of time. And in all fairness, in all fairness, we've added so much bonus stuff, though. Like, 
That's when we, true. When we made that commitment, we had no concept of firesides and, you know. Uh, Anthony, your background is extremely festive tonight. It looks familiar. You know, festive yes. and infuriating. <laughs> it's festive and infuriating, but this is going with my whole every week. I'm going to try to have a background from the movie we're covering. And which is why that background is from Deck the Halls 2006, which happens to be the movie we're covering tonight. We're all just chomping at the bit to talk about this movie. We have lots of feedback already on the interwebs. All of our friends weighing in on if they like it, if they don't like it. Some um, shocking feedback, if I do say so myself. That's I think shocking. people are going to be tuning in when this episode drops to see what the elves I think. Fe- I feel like, elves. at least looking at our listener feedback, which I know we'll get into later, it's a more divisive movie than I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So 2006's Deck the Halls. Here's, here's the standard plot synopsis. We'll see if we hear from Tom after this one for the Tom synopsis. A family comedy about one upmanship, jealousy, clashing neighbors, home decoration, and the true spirit of the holidays. Steve, a suburban dad and a Christmas enthusiast, leads a well-ordered, well-planned, and well-organized life. His new neighbor, Buddy, is Steve's polar opposite, a big personality with big dreams, which have yet to materialize. But Buddy's latest dream, to create the biggest holiday light display in the world, visible from outer space, is turning Steve's disciplined world into a nightmare. As Buddy's home explodes with festive lights of incredible design, increasing complexity, and exponentially growing wattage, Steve becomes a man on a mission. At any cost, he will thwart Buddy or top him. Hey, Tom. Yeah? You want to give us the old Tom run? Yeah. This is my favorite new segment of our show, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Some really neurotic, was he op- dentist, ophthalmologist? What was he? Is this one? This one. This one? This one. I, no, he's no, an no. eye guy. Okay. Some, yeah. Oh, that's right. Because he's like, dude, it's better one or two. One or two. Yeah. That's so dumb. I look sexy. <laughs> <laughs> so some really neurotic eye doctor decides, hey, I'm Mr. Christmas for this town. Even though... I'm going to just say everything is lackluster that he does. For whatever reason, some failed car salesman who is greatly in debt over his, over his head and can't seem to hold down a job moves into this large house next to him with no real explanation how or why and decides, hey, my daughters have found this app where people can see houses from space and I want mine to be seen from space. This is the single most important thing that can possibly happen in my entire world. So I'm going to make it happen. So he goes way outside of any normal means to create this huge Christmas display that is obviously, obviously out of his budget. His wife goes along with it all the way up until the point that he hawks something that's some family treasure because, you know, he has to buy more lights. I don't know. They don't even explain why this is important to him. None of this is explained. It's all just random crap. And we see what's supposed to be humor ensuing, but all it is is a bunch of grown men acting like pedantic children. Bingo. Bingo card. Like seriously, (laughs) listening to them argue, it's, Listen to them argue. I would much rather listen to a three-year-old complain about not having her, her toy 
that she wanted on the playground. These guys are awful. For two for two actors of this caliber, I cannot uh, believe what gar- hot garbage came out of this. Can I read y'all something before we get into histories and cast and everything? It's sure. so bad I couldn't even come up with a decent well, crap. It's so bad I couldn't come up with a decent crap plot synopsis for it. Because the whole time all I think is, yeah, that was stupid. That was stupid. That was stupid. And I go on tangents. I'm disappointed in myself. So dumb. 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 So dumb. <laughs> I said that on a uh, conference call at work, by the way. Thanks, Julia. Uh, <laughs> I thought I was on mute. I'm like, dumb. Okay, so I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about them in greater detail in a bit because this is about the actors. So this is what some of the actors felt while making this film. According to Jillian Vigman, the main actors were unhappy on set. Kristen Chenoweth was still coping with her slip from Aaron Sorkin. Danny DeVito flew in to film his scenes rather than interact with anyone and stay in town. <laughs> and Matthew Broderick could be found on set shaking his head in disbelief, repeatedly stating, I've hit rock bottom. <laughs> oh my God. Kristen Davis told her that she should have her eggs frozen. <laughs> but there you go. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Oh, oof. So they knew they were making hot garbage when they were making it. Pretty funny? much, apparently. But who's to think to say we all think it's hot garbage? Aren't we going to go their histories and stuff in a bit? Spoiler alert. Everybody hates this movie. Okay. Let's, let's go over cast and credits. Um, so our director for Deck the Halls is John Whitesell. Um, he has lots of TV to his name. Um, episodes here and there of different things, Hot in Cleveland, Girl Meets World, um, Cosby, the one that was in the late 90s to 2000. Wait, 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 uh, wait, 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 wait. So this show, this movie did not kill his career? This movie did not kill his career. He did remain, he has remained pretty squarely in the TV world, except it does look like he just wrapped up what I'm assuming feel pretty good about this is a, a Christmas movie called Holiday. comes out in 2020. It's in post-production. So we might be tiptoeing back into the Christmas realm. So we'll have to add that to now, our list. Now, why, why are we Will assuming we? that's a Christmas holiday movie and not like it could be Halloween. It could be 4th of July. It could be. I just get a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, Christmas is his thing, show? right? That can be his holiday. Oh, um, man, did you click on holiday? No. I'm going to give you the one-sentence synopsis because this doesn't sound like every Hallmark movie ever. Two single people agree to be each other's plus ones for each holiday celebration over the course of a year. So it's every holiday. I oh, it's every yeah. holiday. <laughs> and, it star- and it stars Emma Ra- Roberts and Kristen Chenoweth again. So oh, she man. clearly... Deck the Halls is not enough for her to give up on this dude. Um, so that's John Whitesell. We have three writers we can thank for this movie. Um, Matt Corman, Chris Ord, Don Reimer. So looks like lots of TV to their name as well. Um, they're known for some episodes of The Brave. I actually quite liked that show. Um, the Enemy Within, Containment. Covert Affairs, also some producing credits, but not a ton of stuff. 
Same with Chris Ord. My guess is they're probably a writing group because they look like they work on a lot of the same stuff. And then our Don Reimer, since we've talked about it in just recent weeks, is also have writing credits for Ferdinand. Um, Rio hmm. 2, Surf's Up, Big Mama's House 2, Agent oh. Banks 2, The Santa Claus 2 screenplay. Okay, I'll give him some credit there. Caroline in the City. Y'all remember that show? Wasn't that the one with uh, Leah Thompson? I like that show. Leah and Thompson, yep. Did y'all watch that show? No, I've seen it. She's and if you look at the cover, it does not get more 80s than this, y'all. No, it doesn't. Let's move on to our actors because there are definitely some names we know. Okay, so starring in our movie, um, our two main characters, Buddy Hall and Steve Finch. Um, Danny DeVito plays Buddy Hall. He's the one that puts all the lights up. Uh, you will know Danny DeVito from our podcast as we covered him as the Penguin in Batman. He came up recently when we mentioned the Hercules live action remake because we said he should still play Phil. That's right. <laughs> so Danny DeVito, I mean, this guy's been around. He's had some good stuff. He's had some bad stuff. You may have also seen him in The Jewel of the Nile, Throw Mama from the Train, Twins, one of his more famous performances with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was also in The War of the Roses, Batman Returns, like we said. Uh, look who's talking now. He was a voice there. Also a voice in Last Action Hero. <laughs> he was in, and I have to mention this one, 1994's Renaissance Man. I used to love that movie. Did I watch that movie? It's a great movie. It's a great movie. A movie. Uh, he was also in Junior, Get Shorty, Space Jam, Matilda, LA Confidential. When you watched Matilda as... That's how exactly how I picture the Dursleys. Like she had to have taken inspiration from that. I oh, pictured yeah. when I read that book, Danny DeVito, Rhea Perlman, and then that kid looks exactly like Dudley. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah absolutely. I, I, I feel like the movie missed it. Yep. Yeah, I think they did too. I think they were, I think the, the Dursleys were more wannabe, less middle-class. I don't know. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also will have seen Danny DeVito in some other Christmas fare, um, probably most recently for some listeners. If you are an Always Sunny in Philadelphia fan, he's obviously on that show, and they have a very sunny Christmas episode. I'm sure we'll come around to covering that someday. He was also the voice of the Lorax. Weird, vo- voice. Ha- weird voice for me. That was, I never yeah. picked Danny DeVito's voice when I read that book. That was a weird choice. Yes. He does have a lot of voice work, though. So he definitely has a voice that's recognizable. Uh, most recently, at least it's been out in the world, <laughs> he was in Jumanji The Next Level in 2019. And then he's got a lot of post-production stuff. And was brilliant in Jumanji The Next Level. I still haven't seen it. It's better but than it's I on my list. Him and, so uh, him and Danny Glover were the best parts of that Oh, oh hands so down. Freaking frick, funny. <laughs> Do you have a favorite Danny DeVito? Mine would be either Twins, Matilda, or Batman. Tom? Mine is going to be Jumanji or Matilda. I think mine is his, his Penguin. It's probably my favorite Danny DeVito. It is iconic. He was terrifying to me. <laughs> he would rip into those fish with his nasty teeth. Like, oh seriously. That was disgusting. It <laughs> would scare when me so much. the guy's bad. nose off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So much imagery from that movie that's just really stuck with me. 
traumatizing for a kid. Yeah, it was traumatizing. I really loved that movie though when I was young. <laughs> I really did. <laughs> um, we've also covered this next actor, Matthew Broderick, on the podcast as well. He was in our live action or live, you can call it live action. He was in the live Christmas story production on TV as oh, a narrator. Yeah, the li- live, the musical. Yeah. I have the musical. Um, and I think we did cover favorites then, but it's also always worth mentioning that you probably know Matthew Broderick from Ferris Bueller's Day Off because let's face it, I think that's his most famous role. <laughs> so I'm not going to run through his casting credits again, other than the fact that he's a really good actor and he's got some great acting chops. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Was this the movie that started him being typecast as a sad sack middle-aged man? Oh, because he plays that a lot in recent years, and I wonder—is this the first time? Did nobody? Well, the older he gets, the more he looks the part, for sure. (laughs) That's for darn sure. Right. (laughs) Um. Right. (laughs) Oh, him and I'm just—I'm just thinking how sad the. Him and the Christmas Story live version was. I liked him as a live narrator. I mean, I like the way yeah, they work well. with the narrator. A, is that he has a cool voice? Um, playing I, I Matthew Broderick's know. wife in the movie is Kristen Davis. You'll know her best from Sex and the City. She played Charlotte, who was always my favorite because if I was any of them, I'd be Charlotte. Let's face it. Right. Also, not the first time we covered her either. No, not it's not. What was she? Where was she? Three days. Oh, right. Trauma blocked. Yeah, I absolutely trauma blocked that one for sure. Um, Let's not get on a negative spiral this episode. We're in unity. <laughs> Let's get to our next one. Have we covered just Kristen Chenoweth already too? I'm um, Glee. Oh my gosh. Okay, so Kristen Chenoweth, because we talked about the fact she's an Oklahoma girl. She is from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, which is cool. Um, she's most notable for her work with Wicked on stage. Um, but beyond that, you would have seen her in some stuff. And I'm just going to say it again because I loved this show. She was Olive in Pushing Daisies. And that show was amazing. And I'm super sad that it's not on the air anymore. Pushing Daisies had one of the best, like, color schemes on TV. It was so, like, yeah. great. I loved it. Yeah. I liked everything about that show. Um, so she it. plays Buddies. You wife. should. It was awesome. Oh, yeah. You would like Pushing Daisies. It's fantastical, and it's very... It's very Tim Burton-esque. Tim Burton. Good grief. Okay. Pushing it's Daisies. So good. I'll give it a shot. I just want to correct something you just said, Julia. And you said she plays Danny DeVito's wife. I will throw in the word trophy. That could be accurate, but their love story seemed real to me. I don't think. I'm just just going by how she's described on a lot of these synopsises I've seen online. I don't. As far as a physical presence goes, you could say that, but I think they were in love. It was weird seeing her in a physical presence like that too. I'm not. I'm just going to say that was weird. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, playing Matthew Broderick and Kristen Davis's daughter, Madison, is Alia Shawkat. She maybe. is... Maybe. Cousin Maybe. Maybe. What? What? Maybe. She's maybe from Arrested Development. 
Oh, okay. I don't watch that. That's why. Kissing Maybe. cousins. <laughs> well, there's not enough room in this back seat. Why don't you hop on your cousin? Maybe. Hold on. There's going to be a bumpy ride. <laughs> In in Arrested Development, Michael Sarah has a, he's in love with his cousin. Oh gosh! <laughs> and it gets very, very awkward. Uh, you may also have seen her in Drunk History, <laughs> yep. where she played Alexander Hamilton. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Yep. Alexander Hamilton, Virginia Hall, and Francis Cleveland, since we, we do tend to call those out whenever we see them. Um, you would also know her voicing some characters in Adventure Time, Big Mouth, the TV series, Arrested Development, as mentioned by my better halves. She was also in TV series Transparent. I've never watched Transparent, but doesn't Jeffrey Tambor star in that yes. one as well? That's right. Yep. That's her grandfather for sexual harassment. He's one of those. I I forget about that. It's hard to keep up with who in Hollywood isn't a dirty, creepy sex pervert, isn't it? The only ones I care about are Tom Hanks and Morgan Freeman, and both of them are clean. Hey, hey. Some of them that are surprisingly clean to me, like Ryan Reynolds, you would expect. I don't know why. I would just expect him not to be probably because of Deadpool and how well he plays that character. Oh, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, as smaller characters, but definitely worth mentioning briefly in this movie, um, George Garcia is a town's person. You would have known him from Lost. Fred Armisen is in a small, I think it's supposed to be funny role in this movie, but it's definitely not to the caliber of Fred Armisen. It's... It's sad to see him in a role where he's supposed to be funny and doesn't pull it off because yes. he usually does because so well like, with it. Exactly. Um, and then I'm going to mention it because it's like my childhood, but Suchin Pak has a little role in this movie. She was the MTV <laughs> video girl forever, and it really brought it back when I was watching this episode. Cal Penn is also in this movie in a team tiny little part he was an awful british accent yes awful british accent (laughs) uh i think you we should mention them because they have they not they're worth mentioning the two girls who play danny devito's daughters because they're around for a very awkward scene that i'm sure i'll touch on later on that's right um so there are twin daughters in this movie and they are played by true life trent True Life twins. If they weren't, that would have been some amazing casting. Uh, Kelly and Sabrina Aldridge. <laughs> um, they play Ashley and Emily Hall. And that's all we need to say about that. Oh. Until later, because I know that scene's going to come up. Yeah, it'll probably. I don't want to think about that scene. <laughs> okay, let's do histories, and then let's get into this movie. Let's start to break it down. Anthony, what's your history with Deck the Halls? So I'm going to ask our listeners a question first before getting into my history. And that is, I would like you all to close your eyes and picture, <laughs> picture Anthony 
Mr. Christmas in New York and picture Tom, Mr. Christmas in Oklahoma. Now imagine Anthony <laughs> moved out to Tulsa across the street from Tom and the two of them got into this trolling match to see who can outdo each other Christmas-wise. Funny premise, right? Laughing yes. premise. You expect hijinks to ensue. You expect Sarah and Christine to roll their eyes and be like, what the heck are you two doing? You <laughs> and you expect a Linus moment from the two of them in the end. On paper, this movie has a decent premise. It was mm -hmm. executed poorly. It was... I don't want to say awful again, lest I get sent to thesaurus again, but it was awful. <laughs> My history for this movie, I have not seen it in full until today. And Ooh. that is because I knew the reputation this film had. I remember when the trailers of this movie came out, it looked crappy. And I've seen it every year ad nauseum on Freeform and AMC. And I have never caught more than five minutes at a time because I couldn't bring myself to do it. So when I sat down to watch it in full today, I thought to myself, oh, I wonder if this is going to be as bad as its reputation. And oh man, it was worse. It was worse. Ha having said that, having said that, and credit to Julia because she said it earlier in our chat, there is like a one tiny moment of this film I like toward the end that saves it from being a complete zero for me. Spoiler alert, but we'll get to that later on. What about you, Tom? Um, so I saw this movie years ago when it came out and I did not like it then. Just watching it, trying to watch it for enjoyment. It was so ridiculous and over the top and you know, it lacked the basic thing that I think a movie like this needed, which was something to make me laugh. Yeah. Um, Comedies are intended to do that. They are. The jokes did not land at all. They came crashing down in a fiery, fiery wreckage. Um, no, this movie is not funny. I can see where there are things that are supposed to make me laugh, and they don't. Uh, I agree with Anthony. There are so many ways this could have been a hilarious movie and should have been and should have been um i don't know how you i don't know how you drop the ball so hard on a premise like this um i don't know if i i can't say that i solely blame the shoddy writing the, the awful directing the lack of believability from huge hollywood names um i'm not I'm not a terribly big DeVito or Broderick fan, but I expect more from both of them. Mm -hmm. The only thing I really liked in this that I can say, I thought the supporting characters were way better than the, the, the leads. And I think when that happens with the movie, there's, and you, and you can see, know that as you're watching it, that's a problem. How about you, Julia? I just ran, I just rambled. <laughs> good points in there um so i think along with anthony i have not seen this movie in its entirety until yesterday when i watched it for the podcast um i've, I've caught bits and pieces of it throughout the years and i think i've seen it so not in its entirety in such pieces that i thought matthew broderick had like a big light display and danny devito 
Like I thought it was a Christmas with the cranks a little bit, you know, where Danny DeVito is trying to one up him on the lights and then Matthew Broderick would, would one up him on his lights. And I thought it was like a dueling house with the, for some reason I had that in my head and I kept thinking, that's what I had in my head too. Yeah. When is Matthew Broderick going to bust the lights out? Like, come on guy. Mm -hmm. And so I've, I've only ever seen pieces until I saw its entirety yesterday. Like Anthony mentioned earlier. Also, I think this movie is 99% terrible, uh, but there's 1% of it that I quite liked. And that will also affect my rating in the same way it will likely affect Anthony's. So. Y'all are way more generous than I am. Well, if we're going to, if we're going to, if we're going to jump in now. Yes, let's Just jump to respond in. to that comment from Tom. It's not just that 1% toward the end, which we'll get to. It's also like the beginning before it gets all gaudy and over the top with their lights and stuff. The very beginning, the snowy roads and the town, the little town village decorated for Christmas, it looked beautiful. You have to give it that. The scenery. It did. Yeah, the atmosphere is beautiful. The music was great. Mm -hmm. And the movie got into full swing and all of that was for naught. And Anthony, I am sorry. I cannot stand to look at you right now. It's not you at all. Anthony's got the the super CGI, really fake looking Danny DeVito house behind him. It just as I I told Tom and Julia, as I told Tom and Julia a few weeks ago, I'm going to try to every week pick a background from one of our movies, from one of the the movie we're covering, and just put that behind me on Zoom. So I, I, I this was the obvious choice tonight. I would have respected that if it didn't mean I had to keep looking at that monstrosity, that <laughs> abomination. Can we talk about that basic premise? He wants his house to be seen from space. This was 2006, right? Didn't Google Earth mm-hmm. come on the scene in 2003? Like, he acted like this was that brand new shocking technology. And I was like, well, what are you doing, man? Well, I think he's just out of the loop. Yeah. Right. His daughters are in high school, so they're learning. They're learning computers. Computers, like, like for that—that's one of my favorite quotes from a, a Simpsons. Um, Reverend Lovejoy's doing a funeral, and he's talking about a lady, and he's, he's in the last line is, "And she always wanted to learn the computers." <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh my gosh. So we have Steve Finch as Matthew Broderick's character. He's known inexplicably as the Christmas guy in town. Not because, like, Clark Griswold would be the Christmas guy in town, right? Right. Matthew Broderick, as the Christmas guy, was perplexing to me. And he's, he's, as you said, inexplicable. He, yeah. There was like, it was December 1st and his house, nothing. The town well, he was dead to the hilt and nothing in his house. Well, his wife is, okay, so let's talk about December 1st. He starts coming up with this plan of all the things they have to do. We got to do all of these things. We got to do all of these things. First right. of all, there's stuff you should have done before December 1st. <laughs> yeah. Why are we waiting for I mean, December 1st? For somebody 1st? that's crazy about Christmas stuff, yeah. That's Mr. Christmas. Yeah. Mr. Christmas. Um, and I want to, I'm going over my notes right now. Because this movie is so awful. There were things I had to take note of. 
why is he having a conversation with his wife? They've been married for all of these years. And all of a sudden, Mr. Christmas has to have a, a, a conversation where he explains to his wife the importance of Christmas. Why Christmas matters to him and tells this whole story, this whole backstory about this, this time with his dad. Like, she should have known this. And she, you know, uh, uh, her, the, what's her, Kristen, not Chenoweth, Kristen. Davis. 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 Her character lacks any sort of emotional or mental depth she because was, they're going through this and all at once she's like, oh, okay, I'm behind you. Like, total, I felt like it was beyond a, a, a stereotypical ditzy woman the, the writers created. It was obviously these were men writing. But it was awful. Why and how would you have this conversation after um, what maybe um, is maybe. like, yeah, I'm just calling her maybe because I don't care enough to learn the characters' names about this movie. Maybe is what, 15 at this time? So you've been married for, and we're assuming they have traditional marriage, so we're assuming they were married for 15 years at least. And you're just now having this conversation. Why? Like, if they wanted to get that backstory on why Christmas was important, have him have that conversation at work with a, with a new coworker, you know? Um, have him have it with Danny DeVito later in the movie during when, their like Linus moment when they're coming together. Yeah. Yep. Right. Let's 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 make why that's a good point because if we're going through this movie the whole time and we don't know his his motivation for wanting to be Mister Christmas uh, without putting forth any real effort or trying, um, having some revelation makes more sense than than barfing it on my feet at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> Well, I took notes as well, and I wrote down schmaltzy dialogue because oh, it's, it's all awful. so predictable. The, the, I mean, it, you could see every plot point coming before it got there. Um, so the writing in general for the movie is extremely weak. But you basically have elements of other much better movies in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you have Matthew Broderick feels like um, an outlier in a town that's his because of the entrance of Buddy. Everybody starts to love Buddy. And so it's very like, what about Bob, right? Matthew Broderick has a angry response to Buddy getting all this attention and you just cannot fathom why. What about Bob is a vastly better movie than this one is and does that whole complicated relationship much, much better as well. But it's also Richard Dreyfuss and... <laughs> Do you think it was intentional they named Danny DeVito Buddy three years, just three years no, after came out? No, I thought the same thing. That's not possible. Yeah. No, it's not possible that it wasn't intentional. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had to have known what they were doing. Um, and going with what Julia says here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to piggyback off of you, Julia, and if I'm, I'm stealing your thunder, tell me to, to stop. Um, oh. Danny DeVito is like, is super low budget Clark Griswold, right? Yes. Like, Clark, he's Clark Griswold without any heart. Um, for all of Clark's faults, you know, um, perving out at the mall over the woman, dreaming about her at the pool, mm-hmm. all of that, there's still so much heart and family behind him. Danny DeVito's character just, it doesn't make sense to me. It's all right. ego at the cost of his whole family, and I, I just, I can't get on board with it. I mean, he had the, he had that small man complex, right? He wanted to be seen from space. He clearly had a Napoleon the complex. complex. Yeah, the complex a lot of people with very big uh, cars, big expensive cars have. Like that's just a vibe I got from Danny DeVito the entire time. Right. Like com- overcompensating for something, buddy. 
Also, who moves into their house, their new house at 1 a.m. in the middle of the night? Right. So it was all of these things conspire to make Steve immediately dislike Buddy. Um, they move in, yeah, like in the middle of the night, and Steve's like, I don't think this is going to go well, and who does that? Um, they're tacky in a generalized movie way, right? Mm-hmm. So they... They have the stereotypical twin daughters that are beautiful, but you pretty much get the sense that they're super trashy, right? And have make yes, a much hotter wife. Well, right? our our immediate introduction to these people, um, Kristen Chinoweth comes over, and the first thing out of her mouth is, "Oh, I just measured. We're gonna have to get a new pole for the bedroom." And yep. then they start making penis jokes about <laughs> Matthew Broderick's penis, right? Um, <laughs> And the laughing Anthony's doing doesn't happen in the movie when you watch it. I'm laughing at how ridiculous it is when you just come out like that, (laughs) Julia. What it is? It's like it's like okay, we want to show that we want to show that she's that she's trashy. But through the rest of the movie, she's not trashy. She has heart. She has more depth than either of the characters. And there's no sign of that initial meeting i have with her not right let me tell you guys a little story so i watched this today during working hours because i'm facing the tv whatever now normally when i'm watching tv during work working from home obviously you get a lot of calls you guys know this working remote yeah. now it's all meetings and calls and webexes whatever so usually i get very annoyed when i'm in the middle of a movie or tv show even though i know i'm gonna get these calls and i have to keep <laughs> pausing but today i was grateful for the breaks when they kept coming throughout this movie <laughs> It, it, it just—it was unbearable. I could not imagine paying to see this movie in theaters. Sadly, I had to watch it. But so we have a few incidents that occur in the first seventy-five percent of this movie, which I feel like is the time they use to build this dislike Steve and Buddy have for each other. But really, the dislike Steve has for Buddy, right? That pushes him to the brink. There's a, there's not just the moving in late at night. There is also the buying up all of the Christmas stuff at the store. There is the, um, the sleigh in the front yard, which turns into what I think was supposed to be some kind of physical comedy and hilarious. That was not funny at all. Where Clark Clark (laughs) Griswold succeeded with the sled they yes. failed. Ah, uh, yeah. Don't wave your little head like that, Anthony. I know you don't like that scene, but I love that scene. <laughs> um, Anthony, compare the two. Compare the two, though. Anthony. Oh, well, one hundred percent. You're comparing yeah. the two. One hundred percent. The Griswold one was a bunch better. Uh, a lot better. What, so, right. um, but who who doesn't understand the basic concept of reins? Okay, like, this I'm watching. Like, he's supposed to be Mister Christmas, but he doesn't understand. Like. I, <laughs> I, it infuriated me. This scene infuriated me because he did not. He's like, I don't know what to do with these reins. Like, they're, and, they're the, and the scene culminates in him falling into the lake and passing mm-hmm. out. Terrible CGI. Lake. By the way. Terrible CGI. Falls. Terrible. In, he wakes up naked in the back of his van in a sleeping bag with Danny DeVito naked next to him because I needed to warm you up with body heat, man. And I've done it only twelve times. His wife funny. is driving. His wife is driving and let this happen. In what uh, world? Okay, com- Julia, compare Julia, this. Julia. Compare this to planes, trains, and automobiles. When Steve Martin and uh, God, what's his name? 
John Candy. John Candy. Uncle Buck. What's his name? John, John Candy. Candy. When Steve Martin. When Steve Martin and John Candy. <laughs> okay, I froze for a second. Oh, you did. <laughs> when Steve. <laughs> We're when like Steve- John Candy. John Candy. <laughs> <laughs> when 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 Steve Martin compared to planes, trains, and automobiles for a second, right? When Steve Martin and John Candy shared the bed together, that was funny. And they didn't have to resort to that cheap ha 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 we're naked. Let's look at this la ha ha gag. That was funny. Right. It's yep. so, so stupid. In what world is Marty cold so you let a naked man crawl into a sleeping bag with him, Julia? When does this happen? It wouldn't because I'd be the first one <laughs> taking my clothes Weird. off. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't happen. Why do you let some what, guy what, you Right, I didn't even think of that. Why didn't he drive the car and she just get back there with him? Oh, so stupid, so dumb. You so dumb. Dumb, dumb, so dumb. <laughs> I don't think you get cold in water and have to get naked and cuddle another naked human being. That's not how these things work. <laughs> so stupid. Okay, uh, I've got to ask you guys. dumb. I've got to ask you guys, and I'm not saying... Did you feel any sympathy for Matthew Broderick's character at all throughout this movie? No. No. Me either. Me either. And I'm not saying I I like Danny DeVito's character, but he did nothing to warrant the behavior from Matthew Broderick. Like, okay, we all have nasty neighbors. Go talk to him, whatever. But he escalated that feud with him quite quickly by trying to, like... I felt they rushed no it, like, sympathy for Matthew Broderick. And yeah. again, I'm not saying I like Danny DeVito, but he, the writing didn't make him deserve as much as Matthew Broderick did to him or tried to do to him. Right. I felt more depth it. from Let Danny DeVito it. than I did with Matthew Broderick. Yep. Especially the Let end. Let me tell you how this should have happened. Let me tell you how this should have happened, y'all. What should have happened is we should have seen a buildup, a crescendoing effect to Matthew Broderick's rage. The Matthew Broderick, from what, from his, how he's viewed by the town, his wife, everybody else, he's not an angry person. So we're supposed to believe that somehow, just because Danny DeVito moves in across the street, his entire personality changes. No, what we should have seen is like some sort of montage where we're looking at night after night after night, the light coming in the window, Matthew Broderick trying different things to block the light, him at work, yawning asleep, him falling, having a hard time concentrating. You know, show some reason why he's getting it. Make us feel sympathetic. Make us buy into his character and his character's his trouble. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you could easily do that without vilifying Danny DeVito. You know, you could do both ways. Like he's this mild-mannered, friendly guy. So he just sort of keeps taking it. He's the Charlie Brown at the beginning and finally mm-hmm. it's too much piles on and he explodes. And then that's where their, their animosity comes in. Totally cool. Which also would make sense with why Matthew Broderick. I don't understand why he was trying to dress like a, uh, a SWAT team member to take out Danny DeVito's power, but that would have made more sense. That would have made more sense of him going that, going at it that way. If he had been this mild mannered, you know, person who felt trampled on to this whole time but just to suddenly you know because danny devito comes over to meet him in the morning to just go freaking crazy no i don't buy it yeah it was lazy that's and instead of showing and and they told and they didn't show and they told terribly terribly and that that scene where he dresses as a slot guy to take out the lights when he's rising and falling with that stupid animatronic snowman or santa or whatever it was i was just rolling my eyes so stupid the camel feces and everything mm-hmm. too and spit yep. was just yep. so it was it was beyond cliche mm-hmm. um the only thing that was worse than how cliche that interaction with the camel was was the uh 
why I ought to like 1950s one of these days Alice moves that didn't fit his character at all. Who threatened right. a camel? First of all, who who gets a camel <laughs> for your Christmas? A live camel for your Christmas display in where are they? Vermont, Maine, New Hampshire, somewhere ice cold. They're desert creatures. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't? <laughs> Sorry, I don't understand the problem with that. So, Buddy spends the first part of the movie building up this big display. It infuriates Matthew Broderick's character. They go through lots of different Pause. back and forths. Yeah. Camels do survive in snow. Do they? Yes. They live in snowy, snow-covered mountains as well. Because oh. you have to remember, like, the, the desert temperatures can have extreme Drop. drops at night. So yeah. cam- camels are highly adaptive. Sorry, Anthony. It's all the water in there. Huh? I, had to get, I, had, I had to be pedantic, Tom. <laughs> And I hear I thought we were getting along tonight. Thank you for that. But I had to, but I had, I did have to double check. I'm like, I'm pretty sure they do, but I had to double check. So <laughs> praise be to Google. Um, so this leads to Buddy being just as irritated with Steve because he finds out Steve in the SWAT stuff that was just mentioned, tried to take his lights out by throwing a snowball at the electric box. Uh, which takes and he has out a reason a to be irritated because of that. Right, exactly. So he figures that out. So now Buddy is also on the war path against Matthew Broderick's character. The the response that Buddy gives is neither funny nor um, proportionate to what happened. And it's also inexplicable, physically speaking. Like I don't see Danny DeVito having the ability to sneak into their house cut a tree down, sneak into their house, put the tree up with no issues whatsoever and not be found out. Why Matthew Broderick didn't just tell the car dealership that Danny DeVito forged his signature and signed him into a contract for a car. Right. But I put that on Matthew Broderick because in what world does Matthew Broderick think some neighbor who just moved in is going to randomly give you a car? Right. Also. Mm -hmm. In what world would you accept this? So this leads us to the ice skating race. Where Which, should we explain that? Should we explain that first? I so do want to say about response, the ice skating race, he's trained speed skating to do his own stunt, Matthew Broderick. Couldn't you tell? Really? Couldn't you tell? Couldn't you tell that he was an amazing speed skater? Oh my <laughs> god. I hope he didn't pay a lot for those lessons. So when Matthew Broderick finally gets his, his breaking point, he he destroys Buddy's lights by throwing a transformer, which really isn't that, I mean, A, I don't know if that would actually be what would happen. I should have asked my father-in-law, who's an electrical engineer, but I don't think it would have been that dramatic. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but in response, they have this big Christmas festival in the town that, that everybody rallies around, and there's a giant Christmas tree. It's not in the town square or anything. It's just in front of Matthew Broderick's work for some reason, which also seems weird that it's, that there's not like a place for the tree. It's just on the, you know, it's just like on the street um, mm-hmm. and growing there for whatever reason. And Buddy decides he's going to get Matthew Broderick real good because, well, first of all, Matthew Broderick had a tiny uh, Christmas tree farm that he had built where he had like five years worth of trees that he'd been growing for 12 years. I yes. don't know why for 12 years, he'd only grown five trees, why there weren't 12 growing. 
you know, one for each year, but you know, whatever. Um, math is hard for these people, I guess. Um, but he goes and he's going to cut down this giant, uh, so was a silver fir. Is that what he said? Yes. It had to be a specific, it had to be a specific type of tree because that's their family tradition, which also, you know, whatever. Their traditions are super lame. Tree. Yeah. Their yeah. traditions are super lame and without rationale. Um, but somehow Buddy spills gas and when Matthew Broderick is cutting down the tree with a hand axe, it uh, starts a fire and burns down all the Matthew Broderick. Trees. I missed how that happened. How did he spill the gas? It sparks on it some make- rebar that's sticking up. Oh, how did he spill the gas? He knocked the gas and gas can over. Okay. I guess they because of course to- there's a gas there's a gas can, of course, right by a bunch of Christmas trees that are growing. That just makes I sense. assumed they used it to fill up the chainsaw or something or oil or whatever it actually was. And then just left it there outside because, you know, sure. you would That's just fine. fill up a gas can and just leave it somewhere. Again, not believable. So Buddy, to make things right, goes um, and cuts down this tree that the whole town rallies around and puts it in Matthew Broderick's house, which is what Julia said. And I don't know how he would have moved this tree by himself anyway. It's hard enough for me, a five foot 10 man, to move a six and a half foot tree by myself, um, loaded on my car and all that good jazz. I don't know how five foot Dan DeVito would move a 12 foot Christmas tree. He didn't move it, it to make things where right. Where did he get That's I, well, I, I, I did air quotes. Oh, air quotes, sorry, air quotes, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, air and, quotes are perfect um, for a podcast and, and, which people listen. <laughs> Right. It is. It is. It's, it's about, it makes about as much sense to do as everything that the writers put into this film. So also I don't understand how he got it in the house and knew where all of Matthew Broderick's lights and ornaments were, which also for being Mr. Christmas, the house, their house decorated would be an easy thing to do to make feel Christmassy. And the set crew failed utterly on that. It doesn't feel Christmassy. And if you're Mr. Christmas and that's what you come up with, uh, uh, they, you need they had a nice your- advent calendar. Oh, I love that advent calendar. Me too. Huge, but, you know, spinning doors. I like that. Yeah, a lot. a broken clock. Beautiful. A broken clock is right twice. You know, it's hard to it's hard to screw everything up twice a day. <laughs> yeah. So, and then he, Danny DeVito, works in a car dealership. We're supposed to believe he's this great salesman because when he started on day one, he sold the owner. He got challenged by a couple of salespeople to sell the owner a car, and he did it. Um, and they all were going to give him $3,000 because of it, which also doesn't make any sense why you would on your first day take a bet for $1,000 that you could sell a car. That seems like a really weird thing to do. Um, but, you know, <laughs> hey, to each his own. So he tells him he wants the $3,000 by the end of the day. Um, well, in this dealership, he forged a bunch of paperwork, and he said, you know, I had to forge your signature, otherwise they wouldn't have let me drive the car off the lot. So somebody in finance... Nobody saw that he was forging all this paperwork and stealing this car. And now, even though it was forged and he has no idea what Matthew Broderick's signature looks like, Matthew Broderick is somehow legally on the hook for a car um, as if there's no, you know, consumer protection agency that could help or he couldn't just call the dealership because I'm sure being the, the town ophthalmologist that everybody knows, all it would take was to be his word against buddies and uh, people would probably side with him. And so now he's got this car that he really didn't want uh, or he didn't pick out himself with all the bells and whistles, as Buddy says, that he's on the hook for payments for. Makes no sense. Dumb. So dumb. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that brings okay, us so to Sorry, the... there's your backstory, folks. 
Right. So that brings us to the festival. So now Buddy is at war with Steve and Steve is at war with Buddy. Uh, it's the town festival. They always have this skating race. Um, well, the wives get wind since we have to talk about the scene since you mentioned it, Anthony, and made me read out who the twins' names were in real life. We have to mention the scene. Um, oh. Buddy and Steve are forced by their wives to stop being dummies and talk to each other. And so Steve and Buddy start to chat and you think they're going to find a common ground and they both, you know, they, they've both they been do. idiots and like over blowing the stuff out of proportion and they almost make a mess. They do. They do find they common do ground for a brief moment when on As stage, perverts. when on stage, three very attractive women, young women get on stage and the Skimpy Santa outfits with the stockings and the cleavage showing, and they start doing their dance. And they're like, oh, we can agree on this. Ha, ha, ha. They start making perfect comments. Who's your daddy? And shouting things like that on the stage. It turns out, oh, it's their daughters. And Matthew Broderick's like, oh, oh I am. Daddy. What a stupid, stupid line. Who called it? And, oh, you knew it as soon as I oh, showed you knew. it back to you the girls. It. Yep. <laughs> it, wasn't, it was a yep. horrible buildup. But like, uh, in what in what world does a well respected doctor in a town go to an event and just start screaming "Who's your daddy?" And when somebody, how is it that they're in the middle? And of How are the of girls not more mortified when they realized it was their father's cat calling them on stage? <laughs> yeah. Well, more importantly than that, she should have recognized his voice. But more importantly than that, why are all of these people in the town okay with these men objectifying these young, obviously young girls? Right. And and why is why is maybe shocked to see her dad there in this thing that their family goes to each and every year like <laughs> your, your parents of course your parents are going to see you dressed up there and if they aren't this is a small town and supposedly your dad's mr christmas everybody knows him blah 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 they're gonna tell right. him hey do you see your daughter up there yeah no Ugh. the who's your daddy line was just over the top though as soon as he said it oh yeah yeah no it was just so bad you knew you knew he was gonna say something like that or she was gonna say you are yep yep so that takes us to them actually going through with their bet um, that all hinges on this ice skating race where if Matthew Broderick's character wins, Buddy has to take his lights down. If Buddy wins, Matthew Broderick has to be fine with paying for the car and pay for the car and all that stuff. Um, know, uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to place it on speed skate and it's going to cost me $40,000 if I lose. Again, right. No, oh, God. So I dumb. Even. Uh, by the way, before you tell us what happens in the speed skating, Julia, that was a parody of the Olympics. That was the, uh, what Olympics is it? Oh, the 2002 Olympics, where Australian Stephen Bradbury came from last place in the last lap to win the gold when all of the other competitors fell down in front of him. Oh, my gosh. I would have watched that. And again... We have another penis joke here at Matthew Broderick's expense, which doesn't... I don't even remember that one. He made some, some comment about his junk in this, in this the racing suit. Oh, in the speed suit, right. Yeah, which just so... bothers me because this is a family movie. <laughs> it's rated PG, which is yeah. kind of shocking. Um, it is. And so they race, and because somebody falls in front of him, right, like you said with the Olympics race, it was a parody of that, Buddy wins. 
So Steve is just resigned to the fact he's going to pay for this car. <laughs> or is yeah. he? Which his wife is going to be just fine with, right? At the end of the day, your wife's perfectly fine with you taking on a $45,000 car note with uh, God knows what interest. Also, but, but you Steve's can't give somebody gonna... a car loan without knowing their freaking social security number. Where did Buddy get his social security number? This guy just learned that you could see how he, he broke he into his house. Web and buy socials. Uh, let me tell you something. Steve doesn't take it lying down fully, though. Because no. he decides to hit Buddy. He kind of does because he fell down. It, it's met his manhood. And he says to him, you're still a nobody because your house still is invisible from space. And you can tell that hurts Buddy for some reason because who doesn't want their house invisible from space? And, it's uh, the nobody that hurts him. It's the nobody comment. The nobody, yeah. So he buys a huge amount of LED lights, even more than he already had. And to pay for it, he hocks his wife's what was it, a vase? Vase. Grandma's vase. He sells wife's it. grandma's yep. vase. That's supposedly worth more than their house? With no yep. explanation as to where it came from or why it's so valuable. None. Nope. No explanation. And that, and that pisses her off, so she takes the girls and leaves. That's right. And, and Kristen leaving, Davis is irritated is, because of how badly Matthew Broderick's character asked, acted. And so they and, leave as well. Well, and continues he, to act because he goes thought, to get fireworks to he, launch at Danny DeVito's house. That's this right. is what causes her to leave, though. He buys these illegal fireworks, which, I mean, whatever with that story. And instead of being you know, a competent, capable human being to shoot them at Danny DeVito's house when Danny DeVito is not even home, also not checking to make sure that the person you're trying to torment and terrorize is actually in his home. Um, you know, a whole new level of ineptitude there. He somehow shoots this this illegal firework that the firework guy carries around in a briefcase, also weird, down yep. his chimney and blows up his house. And so his wife is like mad and leaves. And Burns as the wives the are leaving, at the, yeah, as the wives are leaving at the same time, when the firemen came, even though there didn't seem to be an actual fire that needed to be put out, and nothing but the tree was burned, so it seems a little over the top there too. Um, Danny DeVito, who is obviously, and this is coming from a man who is not as well, is no stranger to food, screams as his wife is leaving, what am I going to eat? Like, that's your concern <laughs> when your wife and, and daughters are leaving. Um, that was just poor, poor, tasteless writing. Yep. Um, and while, they're, while their wives are gone, I don't know if y'all noticed, we saw two Christmas movies on TV here. Yes, Meet me in so St. you Lewis see Meet Me in St. Miracle Louis, the homicidal Street. snowman part specifically, since we've mentioned that one before. Yep, in Miracle on 34th Street. Yep. And it's the scene where, it's the scene where um, what's her name is comforting her little sister and then saying, we'll all be together again. You know, it's a, yep. it's a good heartwarming scene that doesn't fit or tie in at all with what's happening here. You know, there, there's... It would have been better if she would have, if they would have stopped just when she was tearing everything up, right? Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, I was I was excited. I did like seeing uh, Hurley from Lost. That was fun. Yeah, he plays a little uh, part the in this. Thing, the one thing at, up to this point that I thought was funny was when the Carolers all come, and it was the Fred Armisen who was funny when he and his wife, I guess, are talking about what Christmas carols they're going to have, and uh, he asked Matthew Broderick. Do you have, there's an acorn in my stocking for the ignorant snow, snowman? And those, I don't know if those are real. I didn't look it up and see if those are real, you know, um, 
some sort of Germanic Christmas carols, but the names were funny. That part, that part made me laugh. So we are approaching our Linus moment for the movie. Um, both wives and kids are in a hotel and both husbands are at home uh, lamenting the fact that they're alone. Uh, they, Steve and Buddy talk to each other and kind of apologize for being such jerk faces and realize what really matters about Christmas is family. And so they decide to make a grand gesture to get that family back. And that grand gesture is undressing Buddy's house and creating a pathway from the hotel room where both wives and family are staying all the way back to their home. So bringing them home with these lights. Um, the son comes out of the room first, sees them and says, mom, you've got to see this. And so they follow the lights all the way home where Buddy and Steve are waiting inside Buddy's house, Steve's house. I can't remember which house it is. I thought it was Steve's Steve, brother. Yeah. Steve's house. Okay. Matthew brother. So waiting inside that house so, where they have prepared a Christmas dinner from the cookbook that Kristen Chenoweth and Kristen Davis had been working on during the movie. And this is their grand gesture and it appeals to both wives. Okay. I've got another thing I have to point out here, y'all. <laughs> this whole way between the hotel, motel, wherever they're staying and their houses, there's not a single person outside on the street. They have cut off illegally with no permits, main thoroughfares and roads. There's not a single car on the roads. And this isn't like, you know, a snowfall in Oklahoma where the entire world shuts down. This is Vermont. They're used to snow. They just get out and, you know, still move around. But the entire town died, I guess, of some sort of apocalyptic thing temporarily. Or, or maybe Buddy and, and, and Matthew Broderick's character drugged everybody so they could pull us off. I don't know what lunacy the writers had in mind. But there's not a single freaking human being. And it's the only time they're outside where there's not another soul. It was okay, so unbelievable. As nobody, and nobody, nobody notices. Yeah, nobody notices that the whole that there's this entire walkway. Nobody else is using it. Nobody else is out excited and taking pictures. No, no, it's just the family. Okay, this leads us to our line this moment, right? The families are yep. reunited, and MTV's coming to do a story about Buddy and the house. We got that MTV reporter Suchin Pack to play mm -hmm. herself in this scene. So. Not only does Steven and his family, Steve and his family help Buddy redo his house in time for this MTV story, but the whole town comes together to help them redo it. And it's this mm -hmm. wonderful moment, but the lights don't turn on. So everyone starts lighting their phones in the hopes that they can be seen from mm -hmm. space, I guess. And seen on camera, like you saw the lights, whatever. And then uh, Steve's son realizes it's a bulb loose, like the old-fashioned way, and turns in. The house lights up, and I thought it was a lovely moment. You can tell, you can tell Buddy's very touched by everyone coming together to do this for him. Mm -hmm. it, it, this moment, again, like I said earlier, saved the movie from being a zero for me. It's very well, Christmas and they have the to have a, I mean, Very Christmas well, of the cranks. It's a straight ripoff of... Uh, Christmas vacation though you flip it it doesn't work then nobody 
looked for nobody looked for any you know why this isn't working they just all are resigned that oh nothing can work and then a kid's like oh this isn't plugged in so he just plugs it in so logistics logistics aside right because in some of my favorite movies i cannot explain and justify logistics and that's okay i from the moment from the moment the wives and family come out of the hotel room right? And they see the lit tunnel leading them home. Um, this movie is aces for me. And while it does not redeem for me the movie in general, because it is painful, painful, painful getting to that point, that bit in isolation is wonderful. I really liked the end of the movie. I liked the family, the family coming together again. I like that Steve you know, does what he should have done in the beginning, not be a total jerk face and says, well, let's get to work and let's get your house redecorated. And I like the cohesion between Kristen Chenoweth's character and Danny DeVito and how much she loves him and how devoted she is to him. And I like uh, some of the acceptance, you know, that Steve needs to chill out and let his daughter be his daughter. Yeah, that part. Of, yeah. But I liked the families coming together again, and I liked the fact that the house was seen from space at the end, and that it took the community to make mm -hmm. that happen. And Christian went Chenoweth sung "All Holy Night," which is a beautiful version. Yeah, and with the cell phones up in the amazing. air. Yeah, I didn't take that as much them trying to light it up as them saying, "You know what? It's not about the lights. It's about us being here together, and let's celebrate." You know, Christmas for what it is, and the togetherness, and the and so. It, it is such a good ending for such a terrible, 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 terrible movie. Terrible well, movie. It is. But to, it is so between the ending, Christmas. Between mm -hmm. the ending and the atmosphere and everything like that, there are seeds of a good movie. It's like I said earlier. Yes. It's the premise is a decent premise for a good movie. It's just somehow along the way they didn't do the script well enough, despite right. the fact they nailed the ending. They nailed the ending. And Aretha Franklin singing at the very end, like, I mean, they, they nailed the ending. It's just really unfortunate. You have to sit through the rest of the movie to get there. And what's bizarro is if I, if I sat down and watched this movie again tomorrow, I'm still going to hate Steve as much as I hated him, even though I know there's a redemption at the end because he is mm -hmm. just so unlikable, so unlikable. Absolutely. That you almost feel at the end and he doesn't deserve. Matthew Broderick he, was phoning it in. Let's face it. I mean, yeah. Like I read at the beginning, he kept repeating to himself on set. I hit rock bottom. Right, he did. <laughs> Literally a midlife crisis movie for him. Mm. So we agree. There's a Linus moment. We agree it's a Christmas movie, at least. Yes. So I do want to mention this film was nominated for three Golden Raspberries. Worst Excuse for Family Entertainment, Worst Supporting Actor in Danny DeVito, and Worst Supporting Actress in Kristen Chenoweth. Matthew Broderick escaped the Golden Raspberry nomination. And I also want to just read this little bit from Wikipedia, because I put together a few nice uh, review blurbs. And since I got, <laughs> since I brought up Rotten Tomatoes a few weeks ago, I'm going to give Rotten Tomatoes a spare share right now. On Rotten Tomatoes, the film has a 6% approval I think it, rating. I'm looking forward to hearing what Rotten Tomatoes says about this movie, Anthony. I really am. 
6%. The site's critical consensus reads, relying on flat humor and a preposterous plot. Six. Yep. Relying on flat humor and a preposterous plot, Deck the Halls is an unnecessarily mean-spirited holiday movie that does little to put viewers in the holiday mood. Roger Moore of the Orlando Sentinel named it a leaden slice of fruitcake with about as much nutritional value and concluded that it's not worth working up a good hate over. <laughs> Stephen Hunter remarked, I literally didn't count a single laugh in the whole aimless schlep and suggested the film should have been named Drek the Halls instead. Michael Medved named it the worst movie of 2006, but this, one, this one's my favorite. Richard Roper of Eberto Roper wrote, you cannot believe how excruciatingly awful this movie is. It is bad in a way that will cause unfortunate viewers to huddle in the lobby afterward, hugging in small groups, oh consoling God. one another with the knowledge that it's over. It's <laughs> over. Thank God it's over. <laughs> he goes on he goes on to say and i think we can relate to this after three years of the podcast compared to the honest hard labor performed by tens of millions of americans every day a film critic's job is winning the lottery ticket but there is work involved and it can be painful and the next time someone tells me that i have the best job in the world i'm going to grab them by the ear fourth grade teacher in 1966 style and drag them to see Deck the Halls. <laughs> that is epic. Oh my gosh. So I want to I want to say I disagree with one part of that about the people huddling outside of the movie theater to hug and console <laughs> one another. And that implies that there's enough in this movie to care about. Like there's enough <laughs> to invest you to think that this is worth being depressed about. <laughs> Can you at least agree with the fact that after three years of removing, reviewing movies that we can agree there is work involved and it can be painful sometimes? <laughs> this one hurts. This one hurts. I find it interesting that the that IMDb viewers give this a 5 out of 10 and the audience score on Deck the Halls is only 30%. So that's like a pretty big, big difference. So the original title for this movie, by the way, was All Lit Up. They changed it at the last minute to Deck the Halls, which I prefer Deck the Halls. I mean, it makes more sense, right? Christmas movie. Yeah. I wish they would have let a decent movie take Deck the Halls. Okay. Are we ready to rank? Yes. Anthony, where do you come in at? I'm coming in at 1.6. I'm coming in at a solid one. And I am coming in at a two. Oof. That gives us, oh man, it's close to last week. That gives us a 1.53, which puts it right below North Pole open for Christmas and right above trading places at number 84 on the list. So two really bad movies back to back. Okay, so not everyone thinks it's a bad movie. Longtime listener, OG listener, Charlene wrote, this movie is fun. I liked it. Rick Stoneburner wrote, I love this movie. It's highly underrated in my opinion. <laughs> and uh, on Reddit, we also got two positive comments. Two positive comments. Wintertime13 wrote, I know this movie is pretty hated, but it's honestly one of my favorite Christmas movies. 
and one of the first ones I watch every year. There's no denying it's a little dot, 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 stupid, but it still makes my heart happy. And, whoa, watch it, buddy, wrote, I think this is all right. Love a bit of Danny DeVito. Can't remember if I watched it all the way through or not, but do remember watching it last year. Certainly not on the top of my watch list, but if it's on, might watch. That's a perfectly lukewarm reaction from whoa watch it buddy <laughs> whoa watch it buddy might watch not sure if i've ever um, seen it all <laughs> tis the podcast co-host and redditor tom crow chimed in and said i hate so much the things we choose to do channeling <laughs> some michael scott uh Dwayne Bailey, our good friend of Tinsel Tunes podcast, another Christmas, excellent Christmas podcast, wrote, strangely, I love this film as it's so cringy, as a Linus moment and it brings a Christmas feels, which we mm-hmm. agreed with the ending. And he goes on to say, it's more a Christmas movie than Die Hard, crying, laughing face. So he's continuing the okay. ongoing debate that we continue to have with Jerry Davila on uh-huh. the social medias about Die Hard. We heard from one person on Instagram that quite likes this movie, um, Sally Z. Weirlin. I hope I didn't butcher that name. Um, mentioned that she loves this movie. Um, we got a few more as well. Comments on this on Reddit. Uh, not Reddit, on Facebook. Facebook. Sorry. So, <laughs> Stephen Beach wrote, Rarely is there a Christmas film where you root for a power cut. This is a really bad film with terrible characters portrayed by usually likable actors who nobody should care about. And the premise has been done better a couple of other times, notably by the very well done and heartwarming British TV movie, Christmas Lights. Have we, have either of you guys seen that? No. Nope. We'll have to add it to our list next year. Linz Liu wrote, I'd rather watch Homer Christmas movies in this movie. It took a couple of glasses of wine to make it through this one. Linz, I hear you on that one. Dwayne commented again, it's like when you see a car crash but can't look away. <laughs> uh, Jerry wrote, good, our good friend Jerry of Totally Rad Podcast, I still have to recommend a million times over the How Did This Get Made podcast 2013 episode on the Slick, way better than the movie itself. Which Stephen Beach commented on, that's one of the entry episodes into How Did This Get Made, along with Bloodsport, Street Fighter, and The Room. So, how Did This Get Made is one of my favorite podcasts, and that episode is great because Andrea Savage is a guest host, and I love her. So, Jerry, I totally agree with you there, my friend. Claude, not going to pronounce the last name because he's pointed out multiple times they keep pronouncing it wrong. Ah, one of those, it's so bad, it's good movies. So he doesn't completely hate it, I guess. And Michelle wrote, this is one of those magical films, and by magical I mean thankfully completely unforgettable. Like, it has the power to erase your memory. I tried to watch this movie a couple of times, but can't get through it because it's so bad. But somehow, I can't remember anything about it. Lucky you. Lots of feedback on the film this week, which is good to see. Well, you know what? I want to hear what other people think of this movie who haven't chimed in. I want to keep this conversation going and conversations about all past and future movies going. So check us out. Leave us a review. Uh, no, love review. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think on any of our social media pages, which you can access by going to tisthepodcast.com slash Reddit slash Facebook slash Facebook group slash Twitter slash Instagram. Pick your poison. We go through them all. We read your comments. We love the interactions. Let us know what you think. And also, you can answer our questions of the week there. We got two answers. We got a good one this week. week. We got two good 
good ones this week, actually. Uh, I'm going to start with Gary Bauman's, Blaumann's. He asked, uh, my question is this. Have you found yourself searching for the Christmas feels wait, wait, more? Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait, wait. wait, wait. Don't we want to – let's read – we got the two people chimed in from last week's question about combining Christmas movies. Let's do that first. Oh, go for it. So two people, two of our listeners answered last week's week's question, which um, while well, Watch It Buddy asked us on Reddit, if you could combine three Christmas movie plots into one mega movie, which three movies would you pick and what would that plot be? Bonus points of all three for the films you pick start with the same letter. So we got two really fun answers. Robert Nickerson wrote, I'm going to combine Christmas Vacation, Gremlins, and Krampus for a horror action comedy of the Griswold family versus the Christmas monsters of Gremlins and Krampus. The plot would involve Clark buying a mogwai for the kids as a big gift, only for him to make Gremlins while the family from Krampus is visiting, and some Max ends up summoning Krampus. This is the kind of movie I would be first in line to see. That sounds interesting. That does sound interesting. Uh, Michelle Kidwell writes, I'd combine Anna and the Apocalypse, A Bad Mom's Christmas, the moms are drinking in a bar at the mall restaurant lamenting over how they fail their children who are saving the world. And a Charlie Brown Christmas, the time here would be that the movie would be animated in the peanut style. Three A's, boom. Oh, man. So, I love both of those. Those are great. Tom, do so you see that question, question of, the week. of the week? We do, and we invited uh, Gary has been our unofficial question of the week guy bringing it back to life and he asked us this week my question is this have you found yourself searching for the christmas feels more than usual while in self-isolation if so how have you accomplished this i think we can all agree yes but let's read what our listeners said whoa watch it buddy said absolutely this podcast has helped a huge amount but i've also been watching christmas movies i've listened to my christmas playlist like five times and is starting a cross stitch where I am writing the whole Twas the Night Before Christmas, the whole of Twas the Night Before Christmas. So I think I'm coping just fine. Love <laughs> wow, that. that sounds cool. I'd like to yeah. see that when it's done. We'll watch it, buddy. President Hot Dog said, I've turned to Christmas stuff during quarantine too. I actually downloaded the Hallmark app on my Kindle Fire to watch Christmas movies when they were doing their quarantine Christmas specials. And I've gone back to it a few times to watch mindless holiday movies. They always seem to have at least a few Christmas movies on there and as the weather gets hot I like to be reminded of the wonderful days of long sleeves and cool weather and not being eaten alive by mosquitoes. Mm, President Hot Dog you're speaking my language. Tom has to agree with you because you did nothing but talk him up recently. Uh, (laughs) And he's just making sense. Friend April said just made reference to her Christmas Bowflex. Oh, I love that. Which you posted, posted on pictures media, on. Yeah, it looks like Which it was, was epic, cool. so check those out. And Gary Blauman said, this is typically the time of year for more that I get excited for the heart of spring and summer on the way, but self-isolation has already canceled a lot of fun plans, so I've been using the Christmas feels to add some positivity. On top of listening to Tis the Podcast and other Christmas-themed podcasts, I found myself lighting some of my Christmas-scented candles and have been watching a movie or two as of late to fill the void. What have y'all been doing? Oh, and Dunder and Blixum said those pine-scented Christmas hand soaps are all, all over their house. Oh, that's nice. That is nice. Yeah, I've been burning some winter smells in my house lately. Um, 
partly because I'm trying to use them up before all my spring ones come in, but also because it just makes me feel like it's okay to be at home with everybody in your family, like indefinitely, right? Because that feels like Christmas when we're all together. And so we've been doing movie nights like we do around the Christmas season and we're working some Christmas movies in there. So both of those big time. I've been drinking my pumpkin spice lattes because I bought out a bunch of the Keurig ones <laughs> before they went out of season. Um, Tom, keep shaking your head. This is my answer, not yours. <laughs> I am. Um, I'm just disgusted um, by Keurigs. So that's more of a fall thing. And, and I'm re- so right now it's weird. I'm missing fall more than Christmas. Just the really? feelings of fall in general. Well, Christmas, I don't feel like I miss as much doing this every week as I normally miss, as I missed it before the podcast. Um, I have been listening to my Christmas playlist, though. That has helped me get through some long, hot days. And um, yeah, besides Christmas movies for the podcast, I've been watching uh, a few Halloween movies as well. Ooh. I have not had to do anything. Fortunately, Ellie has been leading the pack of our family <laughs> for all the Christmas things. She said the other day, Daddy, is it almost Christmas? And I said, no, honey. And she said, oh, that's sad. I really want to write, write Santa a letter. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. Because um, we don't really push Santa in her. Right. But she has been also wanting to read Christmas books. Tonight, we brought see the snowman. And then she snuggled in. Um, and ask me if she could listen to Christmas music while falls asleep. And so I'm just letting her, keeping the Christmas spirit alive. I feel so, like I'm already passing the torch to a four-year-old, and it's pretty amazing. Well done. Oh, so I do have to say, Julia, I forgot to mention, I also have to have the winter-flavored soaps. Oh, I love it. And uh, I also... I have winter, Christmas I said winter, I was about to, I said winter-flavored. I meant winter-scented. Soaps and winter flavored teas and winter scented candles. So all of those I have, I've been having as well. Yep. Did you say you have Christmas scented deodorant, Tom? I sure do. Well, what's that smell? Pine cone? Right now I'm wearing uh, snow days. I just finished up peppermint and I have Christmas tree. Um, Oh my gosh. I didn't even know that was a thing. Let us know on all the aforementioned social medias, though, how you guys have been keeping that Christmas spirit alive throughout quarantine, if you've been turning to it to help you through this period of self-isolation. And if you want more Tis Podcast content, check out Patreon, which is... I am so proud of all the content we've been getting up there this year, between fireside (laughs) chats and Christmas movie commentaries and other episodes. And... There are so many good ideas coming. (laughs) Like we keep getting ideas uh, in our Facebook group and Reddit and check it out. Tons of bonus stuff. Like Mm -hmm. I know (laughs) President Hot Dog and Disco 54 in April and Todd want to do a wrestling episode on Patreon. And I said, well, none of the three of us are into wrestling, but we could sign on and uh, (laughs) hit record for you guys. I want to be opposed to that. Let them take the show. So Stay tuned for possibly a wrestling episode coming. Uh, although Disco wants Julia on the wrestling episode because he thinks it would be fun to have at least one of the elves who know nothing about it on, and he specifically called out Julia. Yeah, uh, sure. Um, game. <laughs> I think it would be fun. And yeah. we just uh, 
we just released a fireside chat with President Hot Dog, which was so fun and so heartwarming. You guys should check that out. Uh, he was a fun guest. We want to get him on the main show at some point, too. Mm-hmm. And we're going to record one with Disco 54 soon and Gary Blauman soon and a bunch of fun. We're going to have more Christmas commentaries coming your way. Uh, when April finishes The Office, we're going to have her on and tell her how wrong she is about The Office and Michael Scott. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> tons of awesome stuff on Patreon. So if you were a member and dropped off because there wasn't a lot of content, think about rejoining because there's tons of it up there now. And with quarantine continuing on, we're going to have a lot more up there in the coming yes. days. What else do you have to do right now? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And if you want to support the show in a free way, leave us a review on iTunes because every new review helps us find, helps new listeners find us. I get that messed up every week because every new review helps new listeners find us and helps us to spread the Christmas cheer 365 days per year. And with all of that extra quarantine time around the house, you can also just get ready for our next two weeks of episodes and get some of these shows and movies watched. Uh, Next week, we're going to be covering Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas with guest host Mike Westfall from Advent Calendar House podcast. Um, We've chatted with him on his podcast before, and he's lots of fun. So join us for that. And then also... Um, get your VCRs ready as well because Todd Killian is joining us the week after that where we're going to cover Lethal Weapon and I'm pretty excited about that one. I am too. I'm excited to see where we fall on that one if it's a Christmas movie or not. Me too. Beekeep, since you just mentioned Christmas Clatter, I do want to plug Totally Rad Christmas again because Julia was a guest host in this week's episode, Cabbage Batch Kids episode of Totally Rad Podcast with Jerry Davila. So check that out. Check Christmas Clatter out. Check Advent Calendar House out and check Tinsel Tunes out. We've mentioned all four of those this week. So check them all out. I've got some good news for these bleak times. We are only 5,160 hours away from Christmas. That's only 215 days. That's only 30 weeks. Next week we're in the 20s, guys. I'm pumped about that. We're almost halfway there. That's insane, y'all. Awesome. Almost. All right. Well, y'all do your homework. Chat with us on social media and tell us how wrong we are about Deck the Halls, but I hope not. (laughs) And come back next week and we'll chat about a little bit of Mickey. Bye, guys. Bye, Bye, y'all.